So this morning, being Love Local Sunday, we are taking a break from our walk through the book of Micah and taking some time to to look at another passage here as we consider and we prepare our hearts for serving today and, and hopefully serving every other day. We... Here's my favorite part, though. Um, There were two little girls sitting to the left of me as we were singing those worship songs. I think it was two little girls. Apologize if I was off. But um, they were belting it out. I was like, yes, these kids are awesome. They were were singing the songs, and I appreciated the heart that they were singing it. We serve a missional... Going and doing God. God is not some sort of cosmic watchmaker who creates the world, winds it up, and just lets it go. He is transcendent, but he's also eminent. He is active. He is involved, and he is working in his creation. So being that our God is that way, it should come as no surprise that God has called his people to be that way. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, we this morning are going to be considering this call that God has given us to, to love, to serve, to minister to people. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Why? And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We serve because it glorifies God. We serve because people will see in us, see in our responses, see in our actions of grace, a good, loving, kind, close, serving, caring, gracious, merciful, and go on and on and on. God, through us. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And before we jump into our text from Matthew 25, let's pray. Lord God. Help us, help us to find such joy in who you are that we can't hold it to ourselves, that it would pour out from us, out of our lives, into the lives of others, that it would show up in words, it would show up in deeds, and that it would show your glory to those who do not yet know you. And to those who do, that they would be encouraged and reminded that they serve a God who is good. Lord, I pray as we look at this text that you would also remind us of the grace that forgives us when we fall short. Let us not beat ourselves up. but Let us come with humble hearts seeking forgiveness to rise again, to turn and to serve you. 
ask that you would be with me this morning, Lord, as I bring your words. I pray that you would help me to move aside. The focus wouldn't be on me. People would see your truth and that your spirit be working in the hearts and the minds and the lives of us. Lord, help us to be more like you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 25 We're going to be looking at verses 31 to the end of the chapter. It's going to be our primary text this morning. And Jesus is preaching. This is part of a sermon. And we are going to look here kind of towards the end of his sermon. And we read these words. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, You did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will say to them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's just consider here a moment this scene Jesus is preaching and he says, the son of man, that's the the title Jesus uses most frequently for himself, which he took from the prophetic words of Daniel, talking about this one who is like a son of man. And he's also called the king. He shows up with his full glory. He is surrounded by the heavenly host. He is the one who truly has all power, all glory, all authority, and he comes to be the sole judge of all the world. Every person stands before King Jesus' judge. And he divides the people, sheep to his right. I know I'm going to throw you all off because I'm going to say right, and you're going to think that's not right. To his left, the goats. What does he base this judgment on? How does he decide which pen or which area to lead these people of the world? 
It's based off of their care and concern shown to Christ. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was a stranger. I was naked. I was sick. I was in prison. Jesus divides the world based on their relationship to him. So this morning, we're going to kind of zoom in on specific sections of this passage for us to consider, to hopefully walk through and see this passage, understand what it's about, and hopefully be encouraged. And if I'm doing it right and the Spirit is working and moving, stirred to serve. So let's first look at the actions. Let's zoom in here. Examine the actions that are praised in this passage. They're ordinary things. There's nothing grandiose or showy. Do you know how hard it is to give someone a drink? Do you know how hard it is to clothe somebody? It's really not that hard at all. It's, it's rather simple. These are humble things. And you could look at these descriptions of the action that these people are doing. And you might say, that doesn't even seem religious at all. These are just something you would do to anybody who came in and asked for something. I think that's exactly the point that, that Christ is trying to get at here. You don't have to do something huge to be serving the Lord. You don't have to have your name written in stone to be remembered for years and years to be serving the Lord. When you read these actions, one thing you should notice about them is who can do it? Everyone, anyone, no real talent is needed. He didn't say you wrote a beautiful song in my honor. You were the greatest mathematician ever to exist, and you showed how I am a God of order. He doesn't say any of those things. You don't need major finances. You don't need a huge influential position to do any of these things. Rather, they flow out of a heart that has been changed by the Spirit, stirred to willingly serve the least of these, to consider others. The hardest part of all of this is to just have eyes to see. You see the needs. I think it's important to also note that this list is not exhaustive, right? Jesus is, is preaching here. He's a good preacher, the greatest preacher ever to exist. He never ran over on time because they didn't have watches then. Just want to point that out, right? But, but Jesus isn't going to list everything that can happen here. He didn't say, you know, when you painted your neighbor's house, you did it unto me. Or when you visited the old cat lady next door, you did it unto me. He doesn't list everything we can do. But what he is pointing out is that all of these things could be summed up as this. Did you serve with love? Did you love enough to do the small things? The things that maybe go unnoticed. The things that actually show love. When you look at these actions, Jesus is saying, did you love me as you served others? Love is the true test of one's faith. Jesus says that people will know us, his disciples, by our love for one another. 
And then John, one of his apostles, would write later in John, uh, excuse me, 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 to 21, John says this, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, from, from Christ, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Church, what actions of care, what actions of, of concern, what actions of service has the Lord prepared for you? I want to challenge you as you consider that question. What, what, has the, what, what, what acts of love has the Lord prepared for you? Don't think so hard. Don't look so far down the road that you miss the things that he has laid right before you. So those are the actions here. So now let's, let's, let's turn our attention to, to the two groups of people. We have sheep and we have goats. Who are these sheep and the goats? They are set apart by the judge, by the king, by the son of man, by Jesus, who gathers all of the world together. People from every tribe, people from every nation will be gathered together into two groups When this day comes, there's only two kinds of people, goats or sheep. There's no middle ground. There's no hybrid goat-sheep thing. There's no other pen set over here for some sort of other animal, whatever animal you think you might be. The reality is you are either a sheep or a goat or a goat or a sheep. There's no, there's no second, excuse me, not second, there's no third thing. There's no middle ground when you stand before the judge. Church, look at how both groups respond when they receive this judgment. The first group, the the group that Jesus sets aside, the sheep, they're shocked. Lord, when did this stuff happen? When did we see you this way? I don't recall ever seeing you. How did this, the goats respond? Lord, when did this happen? I don't recall ever seeing you. When, when, when did these things happen that we, that we didn't do? Both groups are shocked by the judgment. It's interesting. Uh, Blaise Pascal, theologian, mathematician, philosopher, he said this, quote, The elect will be ignorant of their virtue and the outcast of the greatness of their sin, end quote. Both of them are ignorant. They're not aware of it. They're just doing life. And these two groups have drastically different outcomes. The sheep on the right, they're called righteous by Jesus in verse 37. And then you have the goats on the left. And if these are the righteous ones, then it is implied that these are unrighteous ones. These ones are blessed. These ones are cursed. These ones receive the inheritance of the kingdom. These ones receive eternal fire, eternal life for the sheep, eternal punishment for the goats. 
I don't know what your background is. I don't know where you stand on so many things, but I can promise you this. You are either a sheep or a goat. But a word of encouragement, if you are a goat, you don't have to stay that way. We'll get to that in a few minutes. So in this passage, Jesus is calling to account sheep and goats towards the response of the least of these. So we should probably take some time and and think about who are the least of these? Who are the ones that Jesus calls the least of these? Well, the standard or quick response names them as the poor, the less fortunate, those who are in prison, the homeless, the downtrodden. But is that what the text actually reveals? Who does Jesus call the least of these? Well, as he's listing them, he ends by saying, the least of these, my brothers. And here, if hypothetically you have to prepare a sermon for Love Local Sunday and you think you have a great text, and as you're digging down into this, you realize, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to go. Jesus calls the least of these my brothers. Is that a term that is being plastered across the large swath of humanity? Are all people, the least of these, by least, maybe all people who are less fortunate, all people who are struggling, all people who don't have the resources, like the orphan, the widow, the sojourner, those people who didn't have much power, or are they Christians? Here is a great example of why we have to be careful when we look at just one little text here. This is part of a larger sermon or teaching that Jesus gives. We also have to understand who's talking here. In the Gospels, every time Jesus says, my disciples, he is talking about his brothers. Excuse me, I flip-flopped that. Every time Jesus says, my brothers... He's talking about disciples, right? Jesus' mom and his biological brothers show up at one scene. They want to pull him away because they're like, oh, he's going off the deep end here. And his disciples come and say, your mom and brothers are outside. And Jesus says, who's my mom? Who's my brother? This is my mother. This is my brother as he looks to the disciples. And all the other times when he uses the word brothers, he is talking about those who are followers of him. Likewise, the rest of the New Testament, when we see the term brothers, is used to describe fellow Christians. To describe the church, not general humanity. When we read of the concern of prisoners in the New Testament... It's, or, or, or the early church fathers. They're not talking about the general population of people who are in prison. They're talking about believers. They're talking about the saints. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul writes these words. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially... To those who are of the household of faith. The least of these are Christians who are in need. 
love, your allegiance to Jesus, your union with him is ecclesial, meaning it's connected with the church, with the bride. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I hate the thing he loves. I hate the thing he died for. Us, other believers. How do you treat other saints? How you love and and care and, and address the concerns of brothers and sisters in the Lord shows your relationship with the head of the church. You can't love Jesus and turn a blind eye to his people who are in need. So what do we do here? We'll get to that in a minute as well. But before we do that, I want to address something here, which I, 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 I think is something we don't like to talk a lot about in the church, and it's the outcome. So how we treat others has consequences. Let's take a look at the outcome here, the difference, if you will, between the sheep and the goat. The sheep receive eternal life. The goat's eternal death. The sheep get heaven, the new earth, full union with with Christ, and and they are perfected. They receive the the fullness of a beautiful inheritance that God is already holding and has guaranteed us by the indwelling spirit. We receive so much if we are a sheep, but if you are a goat, you get hell. To neglect the loving care and concern For brothers and sisters in the faith is deserving of hell. The sin of omission is just as deadly and just as condemning as the sin of commission. This is the reason why the writer of Hebrews cautions us. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. I don't want any of you to be counted as a goat. And so I need to be very clear about something here. Nowhere in scripture is hell viewed as a mythical place. Nowhere in scripture is hell described as a made-up, make-believe land. Nowhere in Scripture is hell described as something that's momentary, light, not that bad. Sometimes it's described as eternal fire, just like here, or if you look actually just a few verses earlier from the text we were looking at, Jesus calls it outer darkness. Sometimes it's called a place where the worm never dies. And while these descriptions define something, and they're using metaphorical terms, I I, I don't know if, if there will literally be worms there forever and ever. Just like I don't really know if the streets of heaven are paved with gold. I think it's John's way of trying to saying like, it's so amazing that the thing that we hold as so awesome, we'll literally walk upon because... Something far greater is now our treasure. But what I do know is those descriptions freak me out. 
Have you ever seen worms devouring the carcass of some animal on the side of the road or in your backyard? You probably don't walk away thinking, that doesn't look that bad. I'm okay with that. And no one has put their hand in the flame and thought, this is fun. I'll keep doing this forever. It's it's God's way through his writers to say, you want no part of this. You want nothing to do with this. Run from it. So to us, I want to say, Brother, sister, let us be faithful to God and his command. Let us be a people of love and concern and care. Let us love the least of these, our brothers. But we need to address some confusion here. You might be thinking, where's the confusion? You're you're explaining all of this pretty clearly, I think. But we need to ask ourselves something here. When you look at this text, is Jesus describing Work-based faith. This idea, if you do these things, that's how you are saved. Is that what Jesus is doing here? No, he's not. You see that right in the response of the people, right? What do the righteous do when he says, you've done all these things? They say, what? When did we do these things? That was just normal. I was just, someone was thirsty. Of course I'd give them something to drink. That person was, was cold. Of course I gave them my jacket. I have five more hanging up in my closet. That person needed a ride. I was already going that way. Of course I'd give them a ride, right? Like they're shocked. They didn't say, see, we knew it. That's why we did it. They're shocked by it. They didn't think it was their service. That was saving them. I think we also have to understand. Again this is where it comes. To be a little bit hard. Because we take texts in chunks. Earlier in this chapter. Jesus gives a parable. That that we call the parable. The ten virgins. And in that parable. Jesus is trying to teach his followers. That there is a necessity. In your faith. And it is hope. You need to be hopeful. You need to be waiting in hope for the Lord. And then Jesus gives a parable of the talents where he's trying to describe the disciples' faithfulness. And then we come to this text and Jesus is addressing love. So in one sermon, he has three stories, if you will, or three parables teaching hope, faith, and love. And he's not trying to say this is the exact definition of those words, but he's trying to say this is what hope looks like. This is what faithfulness looks like. This is what love looks like. Jesus himself says in John chapter 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. How will we get eternal life? Believe in the Son. Wait, there's more to the verse. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. How are we saved? By believing in the Son and doing works. Wait, what? There's a problem here. No, there really isn't. Because if you are saved, Works will manifest. If you truly love somebody, 
Is it hard to want to spend time with them? It's an automatic response. Wives, I know you would love it if your husband was just like, I love you. Here's a kiss that I have to give you before I go to work because I want to do good works to you. That's how much I love you. No. But you know that they love you because they give you that kiss. You know that they love you because they, they're willing to serve you. They're not doing it because that's how they have to function. They are doing it because that's the outflow of that love. It's the same here with, with our faith in the Lord. We love him and our faith is always doing works. Not because we are saved, but rather it is the outflow of it. I love these words from, from Martin Luther. He says this, quote, Oh, it is living. It's busy, active, this mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it's already done them, and it's constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever, end quote. I love it. Faith is active. It's doing something. If it's not active, if it's not doing something, your faith is not in the Lord. It's in, it's in something else. If you, we don't even have to ponder. We just, I see a need, I feel it. I, 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 I just do it. You are not saved. You are not justified by good works. You're not saved by loving the least of these. After Jesus preaches this word, take a look here at the very next verses. I hate that the Bible has big numbers sometimes because this is all part of the same thing. Matthew 26, verses one and two. When Jesus had finished all of these sayings, right? Talk about hope and faithfulness and, and love and, and some other things. When he has finished saying all of these sayings, he says to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up and crucified. If we're saved by works, by, by, by serving the least of these, why does Jesus need to die? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, don't forget that my death did something here. Church, we are saved by grace. We're saved by grace through faith in the perfect one who died in your place. You could not be the most faithful servant that the judge would stand and say, you have done sufficient work to earn heaven. Enter into your rest because you have labored so hard. He says, let me be the perfect laborer. Let me live the perfect life in your place so that when I die, I take the wrath due to you so that even in your pathetic service as unto me, you still are counted as a beautiful, beloved, faithful one because my faithfulness is over you. My righteousness is over you. Therefore, when you stand before me, you won't say, look at all the things I've done. You will say, I believe. I trusted in you. That's how we are saved, not by works. 
Jesus said right after all of this, it's about my death that you will be saved. Don't walk away thinking, I need to love and show mercy and care to these people because if I don't, I'll be withheld. But there's another confusion here because I don't want us to leave this morning on Love Local Sunday thinking, why are we serving at the open door? Not all of those people are believers. Or do I now need to start asking people, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if they say yes, okay, now let me help you. That's not, that's not, that's not at all what I want. If you have a Bible, flip over to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, look at what Jesus says here. Starting in verse 32. <clears throat> if you love those who love you, what benefit is there to you? For every sinner loves those who loves them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For every sinner, for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those, for those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High. Or you might say, and you will be my brothers. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Who are we to love? Well, Jesus says here, love your enemies. So surely if we are called to love our enemies, we are called to love everybody else who is in between enemy and beloved. In Galatians 6.10, we are commanded to do good, especially to the household of faith, but we are also commanded to do good to everyone. Who's included in everyone? Everyone. It doesn't matter. And so I want to challenge us. Let us take serious, church, the ministry to love our brother and sister and to love our neighbor. We are called to a ministry to love brother and neighbor, Midland Free. Our mission statement is to enjoy and to glorify God, embrace his word, and engage his world led by the spirit. Everyone welcomes, everyone plugs in, and reaches out. So love local Sunday and every other day given to us by the grace of God that you raise up out of that bed, whether begrudgingly or you're one of those people who spring out of it in the morning, God bless you. Enjoy and magnify the awesomeness of God and embrace his word, which says, love your brother, love your enemy, and love everybody else in between and engage them in a way that makes them see the glory and the goodness of God. May we love and serve others, knowing that all of our service is done unto the Lord. Let us be engaged in a ministry of mercy and love and care to any who come before us. Sister, brother, 
Consider these things. What missionary might you be able to assist as they have sacrificed so much to try to advance the gospel in places where it has yet to be heard? How could we come alongside them and and serve those brothers and sisters as they seek to serve others? If you're not sure how to do that, I want to encourage you to, to reach out to Go Global and the folks who are part of that team here at our church. How can you love and care for brothers and sisters who are part of the persecuted church, the least of these who are, can't even meet in places like we do so regularly and so freely? I would encourage you, maybe check out websites like Voice of the Martyr, vom.org. Consider joining one of our care teams which serve and minister to believers and unbelievers who are in need. If you want more information about that, talk to the tallest pastor (laughs) or to the folks who will be here afterwards, some of our care team and elders who come up here and here to pray for you and and want to help you. And and maybe you've got to go up to them and make their hearts sing and say, I want to do what you do want to serve people who are in need. Perhaps this this day as we go and serve and minister at the open door, prayerfully consider while you're doing whatever task it is that you've been assigned to do, prayerfully consider, Lord, is it here that maybe you would have me serve? Maybe it's it's the guests who the open door serve. Maybe there's there's something I, I could do. Come talk to Bob. He would love to talk to you. And and plug you in there. How can you love brothers and sisters in this body? Well, one simple thing is get to know them. Talk to them. As you get to know people, you'll see needs that they have. And you say, I can do that. I can help you out with that. But I also want to encourage us as we seek to do this ministry of love to not only our brothers, but to our neighbors. Who's our neighbor? I don't have time to go into the whole parable that, that Jesus gives of the Good Samaritan and then you know, throws out there, who's your neighbor? Your neighbor's whoever's by you. Maybe it's your next door neighbor. Get to know them. Maybe it's your, your co-worker. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, someone else you, you see regularly when you're, you're working out at the rec center or you're, you're, you're doing something. Sit and get to know these people. See them. See what their needs are. And serve them, because as you do, you serve the Lord. Christians, consider the love, consider the grace, consider the care, consider the mercy shown to you through Jesus Christ. As you do, I think you will find that you will start to love and care and show grace and mercy to other people. And you won't even be thinking about it, it just will happen. Let us Love our brothers, but let us love our neighbors and let us do it all for the glory of God that they would see our good works and know the Father. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be a people who serve. Help us to be a people who are active and and going out and, and ministering because we serve a God that is active and goes out and ministers. We see that fully in the depths of the richness of the love of Christ 
who willfully empties himself and comes in the form of a servant. Not to be served, but to serve. That's our king. That's our savior. That's our joy. To be like that one. So Lord God, humble us. Give us eyes to see the needs, whether it's brothers and sisters in the faith or whether it's others who do not yet know the joy of salvation. Let us be serving with open hands because nothing we have is truly ours. It's all yours given to us to be stewards. So let us show love and service that declares that our God is bigger than anything we have. You be honored and glorified in your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. And as we sing this song, let's really think about what Christ has done for us. Let it be a prayer of our hearts as we sing these words together. Um, and as we focus on what Christ has done, let us pray about how that's going to move us and what we're going to do for others. See on a hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me, my Jesus set me free. And look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from his side, no greater sacrifice. What he's done.
before I send you out, I have a brief announcement. If you are on the, the south side, that's this side. We want to encourage you guys to uh, stack your chairs for us to help us out with that. We appreciate that. Um, and I want to encourage all of us. I, I, you might be wondering why I'm holding an arrow. Um, here's why. So the psalmist says this, Psalm 127, verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. I want to just take a moment here before I send you out here. Um, so I have five children, but I only brought one arrow. And originally I, was, I told uh, Kim I was going to do this. I was going to bring the bow as well. And I was going to shoot the bow over your heads. Because <laughs> I want to see how many of you ducked or trust me. But here's the reason why. Our, our children's ministry is a, is, is a key ministry here, and, and it is an area where we need help. We, we need people who would be willing to serve. And so while my wife and I have five arrows, something you might not know, these, these fins or, or um, you know, older arrows or some of them are feathers is called fletching. One of the things that you might not know about this is this plays a huge impact on how straight these things fly. And so our children's ministry in some ways helps with this, helps straighten these, right? When these things get bent, you guys would be ducking if I was actually firing these off because they would curve, right? You have the opportunity of helping these arrows, our children, fly straight and hit their target. So I want you to consider how God might have you help us with our children's ministry and if you are a regular tender or a member of this church, you're going to receive an email this week from us giving you something to pray for. So we're going to have a, a week of prayer for our children's ministry and just ask that God would, would, would raise up laborers who would serve us, would help our arrows fly straight, right? Because if not, I will get those kids up here with bows and arrows, and then there will be a line over there. No, just kidding. Right? Like, we want to do this. We, we want to give them the opportunity to come, to learn. We want to serve our families. We want to train and equip our children in the way they should go. We want to do this, and this is a way to serve. And in many ways, our children are the least of these right now. They need us to guide them. Because I don't know if you've looked around the world. It's not easy to be a faithful Christian. So let's root them in the truth. So with that, let me send you out with these words of Jesus. I have not come to be served, but to serve. That's the one we follow. That's the one we honor. That's the one we praise. So let us go and be a people of service to the least of these, whether they are brothers or whether they are yet to be brothers. Let us serve because we serve an awesome God. Have a blessed week, church.